heard a story about a state trooper that was pulled over on the side of a road, and he saw a group of ladies drive by, and they were going 22 miles an hour. Of course, as a policeman, he said, that's just as dangerous as going fast. So he pulled up behind them, pulled them over, walked over to the lady, and the lady looked up at him and said, why are you pulling me over? I wasn't speeding. He said, I was going exactly the speed limit, 22 miles an hour. He said, man, that's the highway sign. He said, oh. And then he, he looked in the car, and all the ladies in the car were just white, ashen, scared to death. He said, why are you ladies looking like that? He said, I, I don't know. We just got off Highway 127. Now, uh, guys, let me tell you something. I left my drink up here. Let me tell you something. Whenever, whenever you are driving, one thing you want to know is what the sign says, right? I mean, you want to, you want to know if a curve is ahead. You want to know if, you know, if there is a bridge out up ahead. All these different things that you want to know. And in life, the same thing is true. In life, we want to know what signs are ahead so that we will know how to travel down the path of life. And I think this is true in the family. I believe that in the family, we all have desires to travel well. We all have desires to go down a road where we are going to be living lives, where we're going to be raising children that are going to grow up and be good citizens. But in order for us to be able to do that, we need to know what the signs are that are pointing us in the right right direction so that we can know how to live. Now, today we are concluding our series, Home, Some Assembly Required. And and I really believe this. I believe that people desire to build really good homes. We desire to have homes where our children are growing up, that they are being good people, that they're going to be productive, that we are having marriages that are solid, that are firm. But I just think a whole lot of us don't know how to do that. And, And we wonder, well, what are the signs that point out to me that I am living, that I am building the kind of home that God wants me to build. And so I think that is one of the the really good things about the scripture we're looking at today because we're going to be looking in Ephesians chapter 4 in verse number 25. And in Ephesians 4, it points out to us some signs that point out godly homes, that point out what it means to have a godly home, what it means for us to have a godly life. Now, whenever Paul wrote this letter, he was writing this letter to a group of people who had recently become followers of Christ. Uh, They were newer in their faith. They needed some instruction on how to build godly homes. And uh, my guess is that we're, we're in the same boat as the people in the scripture today. And so we're just gonna look at a few signs that point to a godly home. So, so what are some things that point out to us that we are on the right track in living lives that honor God? Now, I believe this. I believe as we look in our text that one of the first signs of a godly home is if you have a godly home, one thing that you're going to see in that home is honesty. A godly home always deals in truth. Now, look with me in verse number 25. It says, since you put away lying, it says, speak the truth each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Now, Paul was specifically speaking to followers of Jesus. And a follower of Jesus 
is somebody who submits themselves to the leadership of Christ, who says, I will live according to the guidance that God gives me in his word. I am trusting Jesus with everything that I have. I ask him to forgive me. I will follow him and do what he says. Now, if we do that, then the Bible says that you become a new creation. The Bible says you change. You put away your old way of life. Paul talks about this. He says, when you become a follower of Jesus, here's what you do. In verses 22 through 24, he says, you took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. He says, you are being renewed in the spirit of your mind. So when you follow Jesus, even the way you think changes, you put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. So a sign that points to a godly home is honesty. Godly people deal in truth. Now you might say, well, why is that important for us? Why is it important for believers to be truthful? Well, if you know the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments tells us you shall not lie, right? Not supposed to lie. Uh, Another reason why we are not to lie is because the author of lying is Satan. So if you lie, then you are following the footsteps of the devil himself. Jesus said in John 8, 44, you are, the father, uh, you, are the, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is, the speaking of the devil, he is a liar and he is the father of all liars. So we don't want to deal in lying because if we do, then what we are doing is we're saying our father is the devil himself. Lying is forbidden for another reason. Whenever we lie, we are being deceitful. Now remember, he's speaking to Christians here. Now whenever we become followers of Jesus, we become a part of the body of Christ. Y'all heard that before? I'm sure you have. Now if the body is going to function well, That means the body has to communicate with all the different parts so that we are walking in unity. So if you are, if you have one part of the body that is lying to another part of the body, it's going to mess everything up. Now, does that make sense? So if my foot is lying to my brain saying that I'm going to walk, but it doesn't walk, well, then it's going to, I'm going to have a hard time traveling. Now, there are times when that actually happens. There are times whenever your body will deceive you. And the older you get, the more you experience this, right? Now, y'all are all young, so you haven't gotten there yet. But let me, let me give you an example. There's a doc, there was a doctor, and he was dealing with a patient of his, a guy named Stefan Betts. He's 21 years old, and his body was lying. Uh, he has a very rare disease that only a few hundred people in all the world have. He does not feel pain. So when he was a little boy, his parents knew something was wrong because he bit off a chunk of his tongue and never knew it. He didn't feel it. Now, because of that, he thought that he was sort of superhuman. So there's some things that you could do. You could do dangerous things, and you never felt it. He said, but as I got older, Bet said, I wish I could feel pain. I wish my body wouldn't lie to me because it's so dangerous living a life when your body is deceiving you. 
Now, there's many of us who are living in deceit, living in lies, and what happens, it's a, it's a dangerous life. You know, the Bible says truth is so important because when we deal in truth, then we have the opportunity to make corrections in life when there is failure. You know, this past week, I went to the dentist. Now, I don't enjoy going to the dentist, but whenever he was looking at the very back of my mouth in one of my wisdom teeth, he said, you have a cavity back there. Now, I don't like him telling me that. I don't want to, I don't want, I'd rather, you know, my, my mind, I'm thinking, just tell me my teeth are fine. He said, we're going to have to do something about that. He wants to pull it out. I said, man, I'm too old for you to be pulling out any wisdom that I've got. And so he, he said, we got to do something. We know I didn't even need to fill it. Now, I didn't like hearing that truth, but if I don't deal with it, then decay will set in, and then I'm going to be in a lot of pain. So the truth enables me to have a course correction in order to protect me. And the same thing is true in the home. There needs to be honesty in the home so that decay doesn't set in and destroy families. And as parents, we have the opportunity to deal in honesty with our children, if you have children. You know, our children are smart. They know that we are not perfect people. And so whenever we try to act like and live lives like we are perfect, like we don't make mistakes and we never apologize for anything that we do wrong, our children pick up on that and they say they are living lying. They're living not the truth, but they're living deception. You know, parents, one of the best things that we can do is own up to our mistakes in front of our children, even to say, I'm sorry. Now, I'm not just going to get on to parents here. Young people, that is also true for you. You know, one thing that I'm noticing more and more is I see young people who are living in sin, who are doing things that are wrong, and their escape route is to blame it on somebody else. You know, the best thing that you can do is just simply to be honest. You know, man up, as we say, and admit to your mistakes so that course correction can set in so that decay doesn't destroy your life. Now, if there is honesty in the home, then that is a sign of a godly home. But another sign of a godly home is having emotional control. And I really like this one. Now, look with me in verse number 26. It says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Now, there is nothing wrong with having emotions. God created people, and one of the things that he did is he created people with emotions. Sometimes those emotions, we are happy, we have joy. Other times those emotions, we are, we are sad. Now, there, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. God created us with emotion, and one of the emotions that we have is anger. But whatever it is that our emotions are, the Bible tells us we are not to be controlled by our emotions. I, I love when David wrote in Psalm 1632, he says, Patience is better than power, and controlling one's temper than capturing a city. Isn't that interesting? David said, It is more powerful when you control your emotions than if you actually conquer a city. Now, why is that? Well, we can, we can look at the emotion of anger. You know, anger is like a fire. And if you don't control it, 
it can get out of hand and just burn down everything that you've got. Now, this doesn't mean that that anger is always bad. You know, is a fire always bad? Well, it depends on what you're trying to do. You know, fire can be good if you're if you're cold outside and you light a fire in order to keep warm. A, a fire can be good if you're cooking. Now, you know, a fire can be good if you're trying to burn off impurity. So there are times whenever a fire is good, and the same thing is true with the emotion of anger. You know, there are times when it's okay for you to be angry. Did you know Jesus was angry in the Bible? Uh, Matthew chapter 21, you might remember, whenever Jesus went into the temple, y'all remember what he did? What did he do? He flipped the tables over, that's right. Gold star. So he went in there, he flipped over the table. Now, why did he do do it? Just because he was trying to be a jerk that day? No, Jesus went in and flipped over the tables because they were in there making the house of God into a place of business instead of a place of prayer. Another time Jesus got angry is whenever he healed a man on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders of the day got ticked off at him. And it just, it made Jesus angry. He's like, here's a man who needs restoration, and you are angry that I restored him because I broke the Sabbath. Now, now Jesus didn't allow his anger to burn so hot that he ended up burning everything down, but he allowed his anger to burn in such a way that he was able to teach. You know, anger is okay, you, just have, to be, you have to be careful with it. You know, that's why Paul said, he said, don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Now, I, I want to mention this verse very briefly here because I was talking to Emily Phillips yesterday. Our middle school minister got married uh, last night. And so she was talking about the scripture. She said, what does that mean? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So there's sometimes whenever we can't resolve a problem. I guess she was talking about Matthew. So he's not in here. So we'll just talk about Matthew. And I, I was like, yeah, I understand. I can, I can see how you can be mad at, at Matthew. And so we kind of talked about that. She said, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm supposed to stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning? Uh, getting through it. And I was like, in this scripture, it's not talking about a time frame. It's just saying, don't allow your anger to fester. You deal with it immediately so that it doesn't take control. Because if it takes control, then that verse says, you give the devil an opportunity. Now, another word for opportunity that might be in some of the versions of the Bible that you have are foothold or place. Anger can be a tool that Satan uses to get a place or a foothold in your life. That that word foothold, it is the Greek word tapas. It's where we get our word topography. It's speaking of place. Uh, It also, that word also meant a place of jurisdiction, which I thought was interesting. Anger, if you let it fester in your life, Satan can use that anger in order to gain jurisdiction in your life. And it allows him to begin to gain control in you and to conquer your life. Now, let me try to give you an example. I I am not a mountain climber, but I I do marvel at those people who climb. Um, a, A goal of a climber, of course, is to get to the top of a mountain. Now, in order for him to do that, though, he has to find footholds. He has to find crevices in the rock in order to squeeze his fingers into them and climb up and get toeholds. Now, there's some mountains that I look at and I think, 
Well, I know that they're mountain climbers, but there's no way somebody could climb a mountain like that. Well, I thought that until I, I watched a National Geographic documentary about the world's greatest solo free climber. His name is Alex Honnold. Uh, that free climber, I learned, it means he does not use any harnesses. He just, he just goes at it all by himself. And he, he finds little crevices in the mountains, and he begins to climb. And I just want to show you just like a little 30-second clip so you can get an idea of what it looks like whenever he's climbing. think about that. I mean, I just watched that and I got sick watching it. I mean, unbelievable. Okay, now in your life, you might feel like you're like that mountain. I am strong. I have been fortified. I've been here for a long time. I know how to live. There is nothing that can conquer me. Let me tell you something. Like that mountain right there, it's a mountain in Mexico. He just simply found little crevices, nooks and crannies, and when he got his fingers into them, he was able to climb all the way to the top on that mountain. I'll tell you something, the devil can do the same thing in your life and in my life whenever I allow my anger to become a foothold. Now, the sign of a godly home is a home where emotions do not sway you in the things and the decisions that you make. Now, here's what I've learned about myself. I have never made a good decision when I've been really emotional. I have never looked back in the midst of being controlled by emotions and said, man, that was just a good call I made right there. When I make good decisions is whenever I back off and I think without being controlled by my emotions. Now that is a sign of a godly home. When I'm directed by the Spirit of the Lord and not by my own spirit. So the sign that points to a godly home, there's honesty, there's emotional control, and then here's another one, encouragement. You know that you are having a godly home, that you live in a godly home, when there is a spirit of encouragement in your home. Now I want to read to you verses 29 and 30. It says, No rotten talk should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need in order to give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit who sealed you for the day of redemption. Let me tell you something, verses 20, verse 29 in particular, man, that is, that is a convicting verse for me. Don't let any rotten talk come out of your mouth. We're told in Proverbs 18.21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. See, what we say, the words that come out of our mouths, y'all, they matter. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. The words that come out of your mouth, according to the Bible, they have the power of life and death. 
You know, Jesus told us in Matthew 12, 34, he said, the mouth speaks from the overflow of your heart. So the words that come out of your mouth are reflective of what's inside of you. Now, when you take time to think about that, what, what do you think about that? Now, there's times I sit there and I think, man, my heart, my heart must be black. Because there are some words that come out of my mouth, and the Bible says I am speaking out of the overflow of my heart. So a, a sign of a person being godly is that their speech will be uplifting. Their speech will encourage people and not tear them down. So if your home is filled with bad speech, and it's filled with a bad attitude, and it's filled with fighting, it's not a godly home. Because in a godly home, there's going to be speech that lifts up. Now, I'm not saying that the home is perfect. I'm not saying that there's not, that there's not times when that actually comes into your home. I'm just saying your home is not going to be a permanent place of pollution. Right? I mean, there's times whenever it comes in, but it's not, it's not the... It, it, it doesn't make up the entire atmosphere of your house all the time. Homes that have harmony and that are godly, that you can pick up on it pretty quick. You, know, you go into a home that is godly, and what you see, you see peace. You see kindness. You see respect. I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's a place where it's easy to laugh. Parents, words have incredible power in the home. You know, our children gain their identity from the words we speak to them. And if you speak words to your children by saying things like, you're not worth anything, you're not going to amount to much, I'm, I'm always disappointed in you, you are not any good, but what we are telling our children is that their lives don't have any value. value. Paul said in Colossians 4, 6, he said, your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt. King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 21, 23, the one who guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Now, I need to memorize that one. Now, what does that mean? It means we need to take stock of our words. Take stock of how we communicate with people. I mean, when you communicate with people, do you find yourself building people up mainly, or, or is your speech mainly where you are tearing people down? The Bible says, as believers... That when we speak, we build people up. That when we speak, we encourage people. The word encourage in Scripture, it literally means to come alongside. Now, that made me think of like whenever you have a car and the battery goes dead. Now, whenever your battery goes dead, what you need is you need somebody else to drive up their car alongside you and hook up their jumper cable so they can pour the power of their battery into your car so that you can be re-energized, so your car can be re-energized, so that it can drive off again. That is how our speech is to be. That whenever we come alongside people, that we are pouring life into them. There's something powerful about encouragement. You know, almost any coach will tell you that it is hard to win a game on the road. And the reason why it's hard to win the game on the road is because the fans. The, the, there's, home, there's something called home field advantage. As a matter of fact, I know none of y'all bet, but in Vegas, so I've heard that during football season, there are times when, when a team is playing at home, they can get as much as seven extra points in the game on the betting line because of home field advantage. Home field advantage matters. Home field advantage is your fans are cheering for you. Your fans are encouraging you. Now, a godly home ought to be home field advantage for a family. 
Whenever we come into the home, it ought to be a place of encouragement. It ought to be a place where we know that there are going to be people who love us, who are rooting for us. Are you doing that? See, that's a sign of a godly home. You know, in a godly home, you're going to see honesty. There's emotional control. There's encouragement. And then finally, there's this. There's forgiveness. A godly home is a place of forgiveness. Look with me in verse number 31. It says, all bitterness, anger and wrath, insult and slander must be removed from you along with all wickedness. And it says, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Now, the world tells us that when we are angry, that when we've been wronged, that when somebody has done something that has hurt us, our response should be to go after them and get our pound of flesh. And I'm going to tell you, humanly speaking, I look at that and I go, makes total sense to me. I absolutely understand that. But then I read what Scripture says. That's what's so dangerous about reading the Bible. What does the Bible have to say? The Bible says, put away bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander, and malice. When it tells us that we are to remove those things from our lives, that literally means we are to destroy those things. Anger and malice is just destroy those things from your lives. Why? Because those things don't edify people. Remember, we're, we're supposed to encourage people. Anything that is tearing someone down, Paul says you get rid of that. Don't allow that into your life. He says your job as a believer and a follower of Christ is to edify and build people up. They might say, well, I thought emotions came from God. Why does something that seems so right, well, how could it be wrong? Well, guys, in our natural state, we're disobedient. Our na- my natural state is not to live to please God. I can tell you right now, my natural state is to live to please me, to do what I want to do. How, well, how, does, how did God respond? How does Jesus respond? How did he respond to us when he saw how we are living? It says we are by nature objects of the wrath of God. And whenever God saw us, did he pull out the billy club and start beating us down? No, we're told in Romans 5.8, it says God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The sign of a godly home is forgiveness. You know, when we, when we forgive, We are demonstrating a spirit of grace in our homes. Whenever we forgive, we are laying down in our homes the foundation of restoration. You know, when our children discover that they have parents who love them and who will forgive, they will be willing to come into the home, and they know at least that the door is always open to them. And it gives them a picture of the kind of God that we serve. You know, I want to be a man of forgiveness because I'm a man who needs forgiveness. My hope is that you will desire to be a person of forgiveness because you're a person who needs forgiveness. I want to give people a picture of how Jesus treats others. It's an old saying, but it's true. 
the only Jesus many people are going to see is you. What kind of Jesus are you presenting? See, if if we're going to have godly homes, we have some signs that show us what a godly home looks like. What does it look like? It's a place of honesty. It's a place where our emotions are under control. It's a place of encouragement. And it's a place of forgiveness. Our homes aren't perfect. But my hope is, along with, with me, is that we will pray and say, God, give us homes that look like you. Give us homes where our spouses, where our children, where even their friends will know that this is a place where God's grace 